Thanks for pressing play, and welcome to a very special episode of Lockhead on Marketing. If you're a regular listener, you know that we have very few guests on this oddcast, um, and that is because um, I believe that 90% of what we get taught about marketing and entrepreneurship is uh, either wrong or not very helpful. And so um, I want to make sure that whoever we have on is legendary and very helpful. And that's what we have today. One of my absolute favorite people in the world, Dushka Zapata, is here. And if you're a regular Follow Your Different listener, you know that Dushka has been on Follow Your Different more than any other person. So she's with us today. Uh, she's the author of many legendary books, and she's one of the uh, uh, number one writers on question and answer site Cora. Uh, I believe her most recent book is called The Love of Your Life is You, a step-by-step workbook to loving yourself. And also with us today is Dan Rome. And Dan is the uh, uh, multi-time uh, bestseller as well. And I think his most recent book is called The Back of the Napkin, Solving Problems and Selling Ideas with Pictures. And we're going to talk about legendary presentations, and in particular, why most presentations suck and what you can do about it. And the interesting thing about the pairing of Dushka and Dan is Dushka is both a legendary writer, and when she's not writing, she's had an extraordinary career as a PR communications executive and coach. Dan is a guy that has made a living doodling and drawing. And so he communicates with pictures and she communicates with words and they come together and uh, they help entrepreneurs and executives become legendary presenters using, you guessed it, words and pictures. And they have helped thousands to do that. On this episode, we dig into what Dan calls the presentation industrial complex. Uh, why the two of them think that presentations are stories, why telling the truth is a secret to a legendary presentation, what the template and architecture of a legendary presentation is, and pay special attention to Dushka and Dan's thoughts on the real reason most people suck at presentations and what they think you can do about it. My friends at Malibu Milk are the world's first organic flax milk. And um, if you've tried any kind of alternative milk, you know that uh, there's been an explosion in the category. Well, it turns out that flax milk is a powerful superfood. And unlike oat milk, which is uh, stuffed with horrible chemicals and sugar, turns out that oat milk has more sugar than uh, a Coke does. And almond milk, which is essentially almond-flavored milk with almost none of the goodness of almonds in it, And it turns out that 10% of California's water production goes to almond production. And so it's it's really a horrible yielding crop. Anyway, all that is to say Malibu milk features the power of flax, which is one of the original superfoods. Go to MalibuMilkWithAY.com and on checkout, type in different 15 for a 15% discount. That's MalibuMilkWithAY.com. And we have recently launched a series of mini ebooks on Amazon from Category Pirates, including The Big Brand Lie, The Power of a Point of View, The Better Trap, No Ocean Strategy, as opposed to Blue Ocean Strategy, and The Eight Category Levers and more. Go to Amazon.com today and type in Category Pirates to see the full library. Now, hey-ho, let's go. 
This is Lockheed Marketing, the podcast that helps you develop the lens for what makes legendary marketing legendary. Hosted by Christopher Lockhead, three-time CMO, godfather of category design, and a high school dropout, who the Marketing Journal calls one of the best minds in marketing, and The Economist calls off-putting to some. Any conversation with Dushka is, by definition, going to be the best part of my week. Oh, no pressure. <laughs> All right, so let me kick things off. Um, we are here today for a very deliberate re- reason, Christopher. Um, to give you, what to, you know this, but I'm going to give your listeners a little bit of background. Typically, when I come on your show, we talk about something I've written. Um, we talk about one of my books, but we never really talk about what I do for a living. And you know this, but I'll... Um, say it succinctly for your listeners. Um, I, for a living, draw a We don't have any listeners, Dushka. It's just the three of us. Maybe my mom. Well, it always feels that way. Hi, Christopher's mom. <laughs> okay, she loves so, you, by the way. Her name's, her name's Jackie. I love both Jackie and Bruce. I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, Bruce, my dad, Dan, uh, proposed marriage to Dushka on Facebook a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he sounds like a smart fellow. <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> yeah. I'm a fan of both Jackie and Bruce. Anyway, so for a living, I draw a connection between what executives at a company say and the company's brand. So in essence, I help people say what they want to say in the simplest terms possible, in terms that are easy to understand. And Dan, can you explain what you do for a living? Sure. Thank you, Dushka. And, and Christopher, it's delightful to be here. What I do is similar to Dushka, but different. I also help people draw clarity out of their ideas, but I do it by literally drawing. I've spent the last few decades drawing pictures on whiteboards and sheets of paper and napkins, helping executives and leaders and people with an idea to share, share it more effectively by just drawing it out, talking less, drawing more. I was just going to say, um, Dan, can you tell them about the principle behind the back of the napkin? I just think it would be relevant for everyone to hear that. Yeah, uh, the idea would be and why it's called the back of the napkin is some of the very, very best ideas, whether they're related to business or organizations or leadership or anything else, come from a simple sketch invariably drawn on a bar somewhere between a couple of people who are sitting there talking about their idea and one of them pulls out a pen and on that napkin on the bar says, wait a minute, wait a minute. If they could draw it out, what would it look like? And they draw a triangle or an arrow or a circle. And that becomes the basis of the idea. And I've just stretched that to the point where I think anybody who has an idea, whether it's a business leader or someone who's just got a startup going, you really need to be able to tell your entire story with a simple drawing on the back of a napkin or else I don't think you really know your own story yet very well. And I got to ask you, Dan, are, you know, I had a lot of um, teachers in school and uh, adults and people of authority as a ch- child and a young person say, you know, stop doing that. Or what do you think? You're going to make a living doing that. And, um, you know, now I do. Uh, and so, uh, <laughs> doing those things that annoyed my teachers. And so did you have people in your life tell you to stop doodling and start, stop paying attention? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, <laughs> I was, I was thinking about this the other day that in one of my report cards, I just remembered this. Uh, my teacher said that I drew too much and I talked too much and I need to sit down and listen and pay better attention. What the teacher didn't realize is that I was really struggling to learn to read. 
And the way I made up for it was by talking a lot and being kind of boisterous um, and drawing things. Drawing was not a, a challenge. And so, Christopher, I think maybe if we dug just a little bit deeper into what you're, I think you might be talking about, is um, a lot of us maybe didn't do so well in school or in formal situations as we might have because we thought a little differently than we were supposed to. Um, and now we're finding, thankfully, that the people who think different, kind of the, the people from the island of lost toys, are the ones who actually are the most needed right now. Oh my God, yes, Dan, thank you. You don't even know who you're talking to. Christopher, please proceed. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say amen, hallelujah, brother. Island yes. of Lost Toys, all the, t the, best, the best island to be on. I have spent my entire life on that island. I don't even know how to get off. <laughs> And why would you bother? I don't know. I like I like living here. It it has been painful at times, feeling like an alien on this earth, for sure. Uh, it's it's much less painful now because I I own it and I'm surrounded by other um, tribe members. So uh, I'm I'm good with it now. But I know it takes a lot of young people uh, a, a while to get here. It, it took me a while to get here to embrace the fact that I live on the island of Misfit Toys with you and Dushka. If I might just super quickly share a story, because Christopher, you and I have a tiny, tiny bit of shared business background from decades ago. We both worked at a company called Scient, and that was where I actually learned to do the thing we're talking about right now. Scient was a, a forward, very forward-thinking consultancy, we'll call it, very early on in the digital revolution, if you will. And I was the guy who I didn't understand what anybody was talking about most of the time. So in meetings, I would go to the whiteboard and try to draw out what I thought I heard these ex McKinsey consultants and Booz Allen consultants talking about. And that was really the genesis of this because often in the meeting, by virtue of being the person who was drawing on the whiteboard, the whole tone or temperature of the meeting room would change and move away from something that was maybe a little bit uh, combative or a lot of ego involved to where people were just looking at the picture saying, that's really close to what we were thinking about. And so that was the genesis of the whole thing. So back decades ago, that's that's where it came from. I didn't realize that science was the start of your career as, I don't know, what do we call you? The world's most legendary business doodler? <laughs> science was the great stepping stone. I'd been drawing all my life, but science was the place because it was the first time I worked for a true, what I would call consulting company, where clients would pay us largely for our ideas rather than for a product. Yep. And by virtue of that, it was an opportunity to do a lot of understanding and teaching. And that's where this, this, this came about. I'm so stoked to hear that because, of course, in the 20-something years since then, uh, you have uh, uh, positioned yourself incredibly. You've created this niche for yourself. And you have this whole career as this, as this guy who draws pictures that make a difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, what's really cool is where Dushka and I overlap. Dushka, yeah. No, I want to say one thing before we talk about where we overlap, Dan. Um, I think that if we all spend our day in meetings where things are discussed that no one understands, we start losing sight of what we of our of what we are meant to be doing with our time and our life, and um, helping people more clearly say what they want to say through words like I do or through drawings like you do. Ultimately leads people to have more meaning in their life and, and a bigger sense of purpose because we are um the sum total of the of the things that we do hour by hour 
So if we spend our time in meetings where we don't understand what anyone is saying, not connecting with the material that anyone is presenting, it, it adds up to what feels like a, a, a job without a soul. And um, that's why I think what you do, um, and in a different way, what I do gives me, gives me at least a sense of meaning. Um, and what, what led to this conversation, Christopher, this interview, is that Dan and I have been partnering on a number of different projects. It's how we met through one of those projects. And he explains things with drawings and I explain things through words. And it's really interesting to work with someone that is so similar to me and so different at the same time. But what we have found over and over, and at one point I was like, we have to talk to Christopher about this. I think he and his listeners will find this really interesting, is just how, what a waste it is for people to be spending so much time and so much effort producing presentations that, that people have to endure instead of presentations that people are inspired by. So I'll pause there because I know Dan for sure has something to add, but that is literally what we are here to talk to you about. Like what, what, how we should be looking at presentations differently and how that ultimately will change the course of our life. Um, if we give some thought into what we want to say and how what we want to say can inspire others instead of bore others to tears. Here's where I see us going with presentations. And this, again, Christopher, kind of comes back to what I both learned good and bad at Science is working for a consulting company where clients were paying us to explain complex things to them lent itself really well towards the visual and the drawing and the storytelling. Awesome. But at the same time, what it also showed me is that so much of us in business live in this kind of presentation industrial complex. It's as if we're paid just to make more and more PowerPoints or Google slide decks, just endless decks. And it becomes mind-numbing because the job becomes to create the next presentation, not necessarily to tell the next story. And we kind of get paid by the pound, you know, it used to be you'd print all this stuff out. Now you just email it to each other. But the sheer volume of documentation of trying to tell the story, it, it's killing us because the stories we're telling are not very good and they don't even mean anything to us. And what if they did? How could we shift it? It's so funny you say that because uh, for a while <laughs> I was traveling uh, a lot. I mean, I used to travel insanely. And so I'd be sitting there and of course, invariably the person next to you says, so what do you do for a living? And for, for a while, my answer was I make very, very expensive slides. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. It's what put me on this plane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There were some very, very fucking expensive slides that paid for this plane ride. And the people who paid for it are, are flying me there to show them more expensive slides. <laughs> To, to often to read from the very same slide that I could have just sent them or could have not done at all. And here, quite, Christopher, I have to ask, of all of those slides that put you on so many planes, how many of them do you actually remember? Oh, I, I remember a lot of them. Do but you? I'm, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm not your uh, typical uh, nose-picking, uh, blue button-down, khaki, pleated, pant-wearing guy. And, and I use slides very differently. And so, um, yeah, I, I remember them very well. My, my slides are a completely different thing. I could explain it if it matters. But, um, uh, yeah, they were powerful then, and they are very powerful now. And uh, with all due modesty, I, the medium suits me. But um, mm. I, I have also been 
in the 98% of meetings that I think you guys are talking about, which is um, somebody gets up and says, okay, I got 470 slides I need to go through here today. Stop me if you see something you like. But let me, let me add to that. The person presenting the slides usually is presenting slides somebody else wrote. So they're not emotionally connected to the material. It is literally a hundred slides where you lose your audience. You are saying that the medium suits you, which I think is really true, but I shouldn't it suit everyone? Like, shouldn't everyone have something interesting to say? Why are we treating presentations like email updates? Why are we not treating presentations like something we want to inspire in another person? So we think every presentation that you have to open up your phone for so that you don't have to look at. And now in this new world order, you're on Zoom so you can turn off your camera and do other things. Like, why are we doing this to each other? Why can't in this world of hunger for being inspired and hunger for meaning and after the year and a half we've all had wondering what the heck we're doing, why can't presentations have part of those answers? And why can't everyone's presentation be more like yours, Christopher, where people can look at them and have something to remember and something to, you know, something to be electrified by. And I, I Dan and I are here to say that it, though it's not that hard and it's not that much of an effort to go from a bad presentation to a good presentation, especially because it should never take 120 slides. Yes. And, 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 and the other thing I'm curious to bounce off both of you is the medium has constrained the conversation. The tail now wags the dog. It's no longer about telling a story. It's no longer about having a dialogue and using the slides as a uh, conversation guide. Uh, um, it, now it's about getting through slides. And so um, to, I love the phrase used, presentation uh, industrial complex, Dan. And, and so the medium has become the message and we've forgotten the point of the medium was to help us communicate. And, 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 but we don't, somehow it's gotten backwards now. Is, is that what we're discovering here? Absolutely. I think we're serving the slides. P people are like, you know, I have to get through my deck. And it's like, you can't disconnect from your audience to get through a deck that no one wants to see. What happened to us? Why are we enduring all of this? And so I wanted to talk to you about it and invited Dan to come because he just wrote a book that is um, already out about this very subject. And he and I have very different approaches to how, what a presentation should be. But we have a lot to say on the subject and a, and a lot of a lot of information that I hope your listeners realize is not that it, it should be less work rather than more work to what they're now doing, except that presentations should be seen as, you know, a place where you can think about what you want to say, not what you want to say for that moment, but what is it that you're about? What do you want to stand for? Um, what do you want to say that connects you to your company and that connects the company to its brand? What do you want? Why do you work where you work? Why is that important to you? Why do you think that you're doing something worthy of your time? And, you know, should a presentation be a reflection of how you want to live your life? Should it be a story? What should the story look like? And that is, uh, that is, uh, that are some, some of the things that we've come across in, you know, the last, I don't know, eight or nine assignments that we've worked on together. I want to, if I may, I want to share one. We, we were on the phone together, remote, Christopher, like, like this, Dushka and I have, uh, several weeks ago, and we were talking to uh, a very senior leader at a very large technology company who was looking to fill a position where they needed a junior person to come in and help polish the PowerPoints on behalf of the executives. And Dushka 
said something really, really important. And I captured it on the whiteboard and it became a kind of an evolving mantra we're working on, which was Dushka said, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you think about what the presentation does, it was never intended to be this, but it has become the forcing mechanism for everybody to get their shit together to be able to tell the story. The fact that there's a date now for a presentation meeting Mm -hmm. and there needs to be a presentation made for that meeting is now we've got a date against which everyone, the executives and the team leads, everybody has to get their story together. And now the presentation becomes the forcing mechanism. Why would you take a junior person to make them the linchpin of what is arguably the most critical part of the entire business, you know, this this month or this quarter is getting that story out. And so we started to map it out that the presentation isn't a presentation. The presentation can be the mechanism by which people get together and share their vision of the story finally and make it coalesce around something people can get their heads around. And I thought that was was beautiful. And um, you remember that, Dushka, when we were having that conversation? It was really powerful. Absolutely. And how how ultimately, what a, what a way to set someone up to fail to say you're a junior person and your job is to polish presentations, but you have to rally the, um, the C-suite to deliver the information that they're supposed to deliver in order for the presentation to make any sense. So you end up with a mishmash of slides with no narrative. And then you send someone out, your CEO or your COO, to give a presentation that doesn't really represent them or the company because it doesn't really, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't tell a story. It doesn't have a narrative. It doesn't have a strategy. It has no, no real branding. And, you know, brand is, is, is what you stand for. It's not just, you know, the, the color of the, of your logo. So, um, it's just, it's just one missed opportunity after another, both internally and externally. And so, so let's say I was a CEO or an entrepreneur or a CMO or a UFO or whatever. And I came to the two of you and I said, listen, um, our presentations suck. We, we've fallen into this uh, presentation industrial complex and people think their job is to manufacture slides. So uh, doctor and doctor uh, fix us. Where do we start? I'm going to let Dan go first. But one thing I want to say is that if we come across someone who has that awareness, like this is where we're at and what we've become, we already have like 90% of the battle won because a lot of people don't really see that things should be done differently. Why are your presentations something that both your internal teams and your audiences have to slog through? Why is the fundamental process by which you put together a presentation the way that it is? Um, So I think that Say, say, having someone say to us, we don't think that this is working. It, it was, is like, you, you are already an, a dream client, Christopher. Well, well thank you. <laughs> and so you think most people think they're awesome at presentations? You think most people say, ah, fuck, I'm great at this. I think most people think that presentations being a messed up process is normal. And they don't really question it. They have like, in their minds, they have like bigger and better things to worry about. And they're like, oh my God, we should hire someone to help pull this together, or we should hire someone to make, can you please make this deck pretty? But I don't think that there is a notion that your presentation doesn't need someone to make the deck pretty. Your presentation is your strategy. Presentation is the the delivery mechanism of your strategy. And I don't think it's seen that way at all. No. I would add on to that. What I think it would be lovely if more people thought about is why isn't going to a presentation the highlight of the whole day? 
I mean, what could be better than that? We pay to go see a movie. We pay Netflix and Hulu and all the others vast sums of money so that we can turn on our screens and watch stories. We love them. We can't get away from them. And yet every time there's a presentation, how's it any different? Why are we not overjoyed? Oh my gosh, Christopher, at noon today, I get to go see our CFO's amazing presentation, taking us through the entire story of where the company has been and where we're about to go. Why do we never say that? Because we don't think about our presentations as the stories that they really want to be. And I've just gotten this notion in my mind lately, uh, as I'm talking to people about, about my new book, is saying, the fundamental premise is this. The next time you have a presentation, don't ask, what is my presentation about? Ask yourself, what is the story that my presentation wants to tell? And then think about it. And what's in a story? Well, a story, a movie that we'll pay for, or a novel that we'll read, or a play that we'll go to on Broadway or whatever. We know some things. It has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. And it has a set of characters. And those are characters that I can identify with. I don't love them necessarily. Maybe some I do, maybe some I hate, but I can identify with them. And as they go from beginning to middle to end, they're going through some sort of a purpose or a journey that matters. Why wouldn't the CFO's presentation about how we did last quarter and where that's going to take us into the next quarter, why wouldn't it have characters? Why wouldn't it have an arc? And the moment that it does, the presentation becomes the best part of the whole day. And I think, I mean, I get excited because it should be. Well, just one thing to add to that. The same thing goes for the presenter. Because Christopher said something that really struck with me, which is, I'm good at this. You know, I, I, it's a medium that suits me. And the fact is, the medium doesn't have to suit you for you to be good at it. What you need is the right deck, the right presentation, the right things, the right story, the right narrative. You need to be emotionally connected to it. So I don't, it, it's not necessary for your CFO or your COO or your CEO to be a presentation professional, like a professional presenter, a professional entertainer. What is necessary is for the deck to be something they can lean on and, and find support in to deliver a, a story that will keep people, you know, entertained and engrossed and enraptured and, uh, and ultimately inspired. So here, here's a question for you. I, every time uh, I have been in a room or been in front of in a giant event and some person gets up and they fucking suck in front of the room, their presentation sucks. And it's like having your uh, genitals tased is the experience. I sit and it's, it's often a senior executive, right? I sit there and go, you know, kind of fuck you. What, what are you doing up there? Don't you understand that pa up to a certain point, I don't think maybe you have to have presentation skills, but past some point, maybe you guys will tell me, your career is a function of your ability to move large groups of people. And therefore, you must be a legendary communicator in all forms. And as we know, the most powerful form of communication, if your job is to move many people, is being in front of the room presenting, whether you're using slides or not. And so I, I, I have, for the better part of now 35 years, sat there and gone, why don't more people understand that your career is governed, how far you go is a function 
of your ability to present, particularly in front of uh, larger groups of people. Why don't people understand this? I would say, let's assume for the sake of this moment that that is an accurate argument. I don't 100% agree with it, but let's just say that it's 100% true for this moment. Then find if you if you can't switch yourself for another person and you have to give the presentation before you actually have to be on stage, can you please find the perfect presentation to go on stage on so that the presentation serves you instead of you serving your slides? So my answer to you is there are many ways to solve that issue so that you have what you need when you go on stage. And for whatever reason, that is not happening for whatever reason, people in the audience, I am one of those people. When the presentation is boring, I, I literally feel like I'm jumping out of my skin. I'm like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to hear this. This is another product update, very similar to the last product update that I did, don't really care about because I don't understand how it's going to make a difference in my life. What is this company really about? And if the story is well told, you, 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 the product is sold before you leave the room. It makes a huge difference. And and I think that it has to do a lot with, with the help that you get on the deck before you go on stage. You don't have to be an amazing presenter. You have to have an amazing presentation and a story that you believe in. You know, there's this, gosh knows if, if Einstein ever said it, but there's this famous, famous old quote about the definition of insanity from Einstein, which is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. And I've been in that audience, Christopher, with you a thousand times and Dushka with you a thousand times. And climbing out of my skin because I've seen this before. And then I go up on stage and do the same fucking thing. It's as if we don't even learn from what we ourselves experience. Everybody says that last presentation was awful. And then we go up and do the same thing. Well, why is that? Because we haven't been taught anything different. And I'm going to take it back to the most fundamental notion of a template. So back to talking about financial people, for example, when someone says to a financial person in the business, go run us a, a P&L for Q4, that person doesn't go and invent a, a, a profit and loss statement. They use a template and they know what to put into each cell in the template. So why is it when someone says, okay, Mr. Miss Executive, go up there and tell us the story of your product. Why is it that we go off and don't know what to do? And just, we have no template. We go to the latest PowerPoint or Google slide doc that was reasonably good and we make some modifications to it. But I think the, the challenge is that we simply haven't been taught like in a templated way, how do you tell the story? And every screenwriter in Hollywood, every playwright in New York knows the three-act structure and knows the hero's journey and knows the basic blocking and tackling tools of telling a compelling story. All we need to do is look at what they already do, modify it a little bit for business, and we're good. We're good to go. That's it. Yeah, there's also, there's also a matter of ego, right? Like, And I don't mean ego in terms of like egomaniac. I mean ego in the sense of getting out of your own way to see things as they are. And what I mean by that is we lose track of the fact that just because something is important to me doesn't mean you will find it important. If something is interesting to me doesn't mean you will find it interesting. And so we have people going on stage completely self-absorbed in the world of their companies, which is their job. It's what they're supposed to be doing. But then spending 45 minutes filling us in on something they think is very important and that no one else really cares about. 
So a part of what makes a presentation good, I think, is stepping outside of yourself to be able to determine how what you have to say is relevant to other people. And that I also think that that is not happening. I think people are like, we're going to launch this product and we have forgotten that people don't really know what our company does yet, by way of example. So I think, it, I th I think a lot of it is, a, a lot of the reason why we make the same mistake over and over is because we are in our own way. So how do we get out of our own way, folks? Well, I have an idea. <laughs> uh, I was starting down this, I, I was up, getting up on the soapbox a moment ago. It's about, I think, Christopher, being helped, having someone help us in just structuring what we want to share in the form of a story. Just go back to good old Dr. Seuss. When we were kids, how did we learn when we were little? What was encouraging to us? What encouraged us to read or to follow along? And it's that, it's that same notion of a good story has a series of emotional turns that deliver a payoff. What's the payoff that I want my audience to experience at the end of this presentation? What do I want my audience to feel or do or remember? And then work backward from that. What, what is the payoff? for everybody in this room of this presentation and and begin with the end in mind, knowing that, build the story to achieve that. And it could be almost any. That's, that's what I would. So I think where a lot of folks get trapped is they think, to use your phrase, Dan, the payoff is communicating information. You, you mentioned finance and IR and things along those lines, of which I have a lot of experience with. Um, and it has always struck me, you take an earnings call, you take an IR uh, day with analysts, you take any of those sorts of things, and they're all in a template. And, and they all make you want to tear your eyeballs out with a fork. And I think it's because what most CFOs, most IR professionals think their job is, is to communicate information. And that's very different than telling a story. Yes. And so I'd be curious as to both of your reaction to that. I, I just want to, I, I don't want to answer the question. I want Dan to answer it, but I want to add one thing. We were talking in the beginning of this conversation about the island of lost toys and how different people process information differently. Most presentations cater to one kind of a brain. So part of the reason we are we are on this call are claiming to be on the island of lost toys, but also claiming to be in despair over boring presentations is also because the presentation isn't really catering to how we process information. I don't know about the two of you, but if I look at an Excel spreadsheet, I want to faint. I cannot read what, what it says. I can't look at a spreadsheet. It, I, I'm not being capricious. I just, my brain can't process it. And so I think that a lot of what we need to recognize is that not everyone takes information in the same way and that presentations need to cater to a more primal part of our brain. And by primal, I mean fundamental. And I would love if, if Dan could elaborate on this because it's, it's, it's literally what all his books have been about. I talked a moment ago, we talked a moment ago about this idea of this hero's journey, this sort of template of a story that, that screenwriters in Hollywood have known now for decades. And there is this thing, and it, it's now almost a caricature. Everybody knows, everybody knows about Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. Fine. If you really dive into it, it's really not the story of a hero at all. It's the story of all of us. It's not about heroic acts. It's about just living your life and growing up and going through the trials and tribulations of becoming an adult and leaving home. And then once you've done that and you've aged and you haven't died yet, 
You've experienced some things that now enable you to teach and pass that on. Anyway, great. There's something really powerful there, though, that is a story that people love to hear. And if you think about the most famous movies of all time, whether it's Harry Potter or Star Wars or the Lord of the Rings or uh, the Marvel comic universe, they're all based directly beat for beat on the classic hero's journey. And they are the movies that sell the most. So we know this storyline works. Now, imagine, though, if you wove into that, and this is where I'm going and I find fascinating, some good old behavioral economics like Daniel Kahneman work and Dan Ariely's work. What the behavioral economists are now understanding is we are deeply irrational beings, but our irrationality is largely predictable, meaning we are irrational in very understandable ways. And if you weave those two together, you come up with a kind of an arc of a story that looks a little bit like a hero's journey, but that also appeals, and Dushka, to your point, to kind of our primal mind. Like, what do we want to achieve? We all want to succeed and thrive, and we all want others around us to succeed and thrive. That's what we want. That goes back to the very beginning of when we were starting to evolve. We need to survive, and we want our group to survive, and we want to do it together. That's the basis. When I was talking, Christopher, about the template of a story, that's a template you can tell. And if it's about launching a new product or a new service or even a new data point in your financial record, make that data point the reluctant hero of the story. This little outlier of data in our financial report is the one that we all need to pay attention to because it's the one, (laughs) forgive me, that's going to use the force and save our business. And that might sound a little hackneyed, but you know what? It totally works. And so if I was sitting down to write a presentation and I said, okay, I, and maybe let's stay with the financial because we've gravitated there. Uh, Maybe I'm going to be speaking at an investor uh, day as I have. And my objective is to um, create the most legendary presentation that I have ever given and the outcome that uh, I want is for people to A, understand our business, B, know how we're different, and C, be excited about buying our stock. What would I do to craft an investor presentation that might achieve those goals? Okay, so Christopher, if I heard you well, I heard you say that I am a financial person and I want to deliver a story, I'm on stage, It's going to inspire this financial audience, this group of analysts to believe in me and to believe in this company and why this investment opportunity is the greatest thing they've seen in their life. Did I get that right? Okay. So what I would do is I would say something to the effect like this, ladies and gentlemen, life is really good right now. We all agree with that. Business is going relatively well. You know, think we're emerging from COVID, da, da, da. I'd, I'd set the ground or I'd say things are pretty good right now. But then I would say, but you know what? We're about to stumble because the Delta variant's coming back or business is about to turn south or whatever it is. I'd say I'd establish some common ground and then I'd say, but there's a problem ahead. And then I'd say, but you know what? Once we get past that problem, there's enormous hope. Just imagine what it's going to feel like when we no longer worry about COVID or imagine what it's going to feel like when we're post IPO and we're just rolling in cash. Imagine what it's going to feel like. And then you pull the ground up from under everybody's feet and you say, you know what? We're never going to get there if we keep doing the same old shit we've been doing. 
what got us here is not going to get us where we need to go. So let's just fall off this cliff. But then at the bottom of that cliff, you say, you know what? But we are not going to die today. Today, we're going to do something different. Today, we're going to be really bold. Today, we're going to completely rip up the script and try something completely new that perhaps no one's ever seen before. And here's what it looks like. And ta-da, here's my company. Here's where we come into that. And this is how we're going to do it. And they say, you know what? It's not that hard. We, we, we understand what are the steps that are required, although it might look crazy. It's really not. If we really look under the hood, it's not that hard. We can build some courage because we know how to do this. We can make some assignments. We can commit to them. And step by step, beginning with one, two, three, we can actually do it. And here's what the benefit's going to be. We're, we're going to exceed that thing that we hoped for a minute ago. We're going to so radically exceed it when we proceed down this path that we're not even going to know what, had, what hit us. That's what my company does. The elements that I would add to that, um, n- not in addition to, but threaded through, are which are more related to you know, words more than uh, narrative, are answer why and not how. When your presentation is focused on, I'm not saying don't include the how, but when you lead with the how, you're focused on tactics and it's very easy to get in the weeds. Whenever someone has a deck that is 150 slides instead of 12, it's because they've lost themselves in the how instead of explaining the why. The other is get out of your own way and think of a universal thread. What is the universal problem that you are trying to solve that will make your audience be interested in why you should be solving it? The the universal problem cannot be your fascination with what you're doing but what you see everyone going through that you think your company can solve. And the use of very, very simple language, because another thing that happens that is very difficult for me to understand is that when presentations are bad, they usually have a lot of corporate speak or legal speak or language that is really difficult to get through and technical speak. The simpler something is, the more people understand and the more inclusive it will be. If people resort to complicated language, they become the opposite of inclusive. How did we do in your presentation, Christopher? Uh, Well, um, very (laughs) well. So there's a statement of empathy or connection up front. There's a framing of a problem or a situation or a challenge. And sometimes sort of underscoring that in a way that captures people's attention And then there's a, uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. It could be very different. And if we all come together in Kumbaya and do these kinds of things, life going forward is going to be legendary. That's the arc of the story. Did I get it essentially thematically right? Absolutely. Yes. The part that I have not always done well is the first empathy part. (laughs) Mm. I I normally start off with, bam, now that I broke your nose and have your attention, <laughs> so I will often start with uh, the framing of the problem in a powerful way. But that what I've learned over time is that uh, that connection piece really matters. The challenge with this, and this is the part that, so I get all this, and, and uh, most of my presentations follow this kind of an arc. However, here's the challenge. Uh, I used to go to TED. When Ted was in Monterey and it was, you know, relatively small and so forth and so on. And then when Chris Anderson bought it and, and, and changed it radically, 
first of all, I'm an introverted extrovert, as Dushka has explained to me. So it, th that I never understood why I hated going to these things because I'm an extrovert. I'm supposed to like them. Well, I don't. So I, I, I didn't particularly love the, the networking at TED. There was a lot of incredible people there. I mean, you're sitting next to presidents and prime ministers and, you know, Craig Ventner, the guy that mapped the genome. And it's an amazing thing. And you sit down. At, but it's not necessarily what I naturally gravitate towards. Anyway, long story, way longer. Chris Anderson buys it, changes it up, and then creates this whole TEDx program. And of course, as you know, there's a billion TED talks today. I get asked on a regular basis, Dan, why don't you have a TED Talk? Like, of all guys to have a TED Talk, you should have a TED Talk. And I say, fuck the TED Talk. And the reason I mm -hmm. say fuck the TED Talk is the formula. A and I don't watch them anymore because I can't, the formula drives me nuts. You get up, you do the dramatic share, you know, how uh, you were born a horrible situation, whatever the thing was. When your mom got what, whatever it is, there's this dramatic, you know, heartstring thing. And, the, it, it, and so it's this arc gone mental and they're so formulaic about it. It is a turnoff. On the other hand, Carrie and I, the other night with some friends, watched, um, oh shit, what's her name? She has a, she's a comedian. She has a new comedy out or newish comedy out. She's funny as shit. Her, her first breakout on Netflix, she's pregnant as hell. Um, anyway, her name hopefully will come to me. It's a rom-com. So guess what? It's rom-com 101. That's the narrative. That's the arc. And you know it from the beginning. But she's so funny, and the writing is so good, and the characters are so compelling, and the actors are so great. You know exactly there's the bullshit in the beginning and the tension and they break apart and, <laughs> and then they end up together. I mean, you just know this is what's going to happen, but you watch it anyway because they're delivering the narrative in such a compelling way that even though you know exactly what's going to happen, you want to watch it. And so with all that said, how do you use this template that we are all or, or many of us are deeply tuned to, but use it in a way that you don't become... And I don't mean this maybe as pejoratively as it sounds, but the joke that is now the TED Talk. What I want to say is this. Formulas are, they exist because they are, there's a certain degree of infallibility to a formula. That's why it's a formula. But I also think that you need to ask yourself, as Christopher, you have a very specific personality. And Dan, you have a specific personality. You are very different from each other. One of you can get away with things that the other can't get away with just because of who you are. So how do you take a formula and adapt it to who you are so that it's serving you? And a lot of the work that we do when we work with a presenter is let, let us give you the best presentation possible with, a, with the best story possible, but also let's work with what your company does and the problem that you're trying to solve and the personality that you bring into it so that the formula can be adapted to what you can get away with, basically. So it's not, it's not like a stamp and you're done. It, it is like, here's a start. But you need to, you need to get it tailored, for lack of a better way of putting it. Your listeners can't see this, but Christopher, I, I see you through our our call here, and I see that you've got a bunch of guitars on the wall behind you, and you've got Clash album over there, and God bless you for that. Um, here's the thing: twelve bar blues. The twelve bar blues. It's called what it is. It's twelve bars. It never varies. 
And yet there are thousands of songs. There's entire radio stations. There's entire genres of music that do nothing but the blues. And if you happen to like the blues, you love it. The template, it's there and it's understood. It's 12 bars. These are the key changes. This is the tempo. Know that. Learn it. Every genre of music, the reason why music becomes popular, any genre, whether it's hip-hop or rock or certain types of anything, is because the template is known, it becomes canon, it becomes codified, everybody knows it because it works, and then it gives infinite opportunity for people to riff off of that and make it their own. And so what happens to the audience, just like Star Wars, The Lord of the Rings, The Hunger Games, and Harry Potter are all the same movie. They're all identical movies with all the same characters even. They just happen to change their name and sometimes their gender and their age. But it's all the, exactly the same story, and yet we love them. And I go on, but here's what I'm thinking. The reason why so many of our pre presentations suck is because we were never given the 12-bar blues template. And, if we, and there are others, but here's just one. Hey, next time you need to do a song and you don't know what to sing, just do 12-bar blues. You can learn it in 15 minutes. Start with that. Your audience is going to love it. And then next time, mix it up. And maybe uh, give them a classic rock and roll. I mean, I'll stop now. I see the clash back there. I mean, if you think about their songs, the simplest rock and roll songs ever. And we love them because they did them their way. Dan, um, you and I are taking for granted that when we say template, you actually mean a template. So do you want to briefly talk about the pop-up pitch? Because it has a template. It's like actually in there. We've been touching on this throughout this beautiful conversation. This will be my sixth book. As Dushka mentioned, it's called The Pop-Up Pitch. In two hours, create the 10 pages that will transform your audience. And the idea is the core of the book is this 10-step story template that we're talking about. All I did is took Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey. I put it in a blender along with some good old Dale Carnegie, good old homespun American salesship, salesmanship threw in there some Daniel Kahneman and Dan Ariely behavioral economics, and out of the end of it came a storyline that anybody can learn in about 10 minutes, and in two hours, you build your story. And it's like a mad lib for people that are familiar with that. You literally fill in the blank. And yeah, Christopher, I hear you. The challenge is how do we all end up with not exactly the same friggin' presentation over and over? For me, that's a problem I'm willing to accept for a while. Because with most of the people I work with who have no clue how to tell a story, you give them this 10-page pitch equivalent to the 12-bar blues, they start there. And the confidence that that person learns from having a template they can rely on, they do one and they get on stage and they present it. And they're amazed every single time because that simple little 10-step journey always gets the audience to say, tell us more, tell us more, as opposed to, God, I can't wait for this meeting to get over. And now you've built the confidence to allow this leader. I was going to say, never underestimate what a good story does to someone who used to think they were a bad presenter. Could you say that again, Dushka, please? Yes, I said, never underestimate what a really good story, the power that a really good story grants someone who used to think they were a bad presenter. Yes. Dushka, I remember you saying 20 minutes ago, a lot of times people get up on the stage to give their presentation. And Christopher used to this too, and they don't have the confidence in their own story. So they go off in a, in a poor direction or they 
become navel-gazing or very focused on the one thing they do know. What I find fascinating about what all we're talking about is we're giving a set of tools to people, Christopher, to your earlier point, why doesn't the senior executive know how to tell a friggin' story? That's your job. Hello, that's your job. Well, if you don't know, here's a, here's a way to stop. You can't be unengaged, uninspired, bored, and disconnected, and elicit from your audience enrapturement and fascination. You can only elicit in your audience the feeling that you bring. So if you have a good story that you are inspired by, how you present is going to change, even if you are not a professional presenter. The deck is not supposed to be handed over to you by someone in product marketing. It's supposed to be something that you are working on with your team so that you are emotionally connected to it. There is no shortcut for you loving the presentation that you have on stage. And it's worth your time because the get, getting up on stage was worth the time in, in the first place. So to anyone who says, I don't have time to work on my own presentations, any minute that you spend on stage, you're wasting if you didn't work on your presentation yourself. You have to be emotionally connected to your presentations to inspire others with it. Well, so, and as we've been talking, I've been thinking, I don't give presentations. I didn't when I was a, a CMO. I sure as fuck don't today. But even as a CMO, I don't give presentations that were created by other people. You, nor should you. Right? The beauty of being a CMO is, is, if not the principal author, certainly the executive who brings together the elements and, and weaves it into a story. And frankly, I think should be at least a principal author. And so as a result... In when I was, you know, what I would call really working, because if, if this is working, it needs a new name. <laughs> but um, I was presenting shit that I created. I owned the shit out of it. But that's not the case for many people in business. If I'm a sales rep, if I'm a product manager and I have to give the corporate pitch, right, I am not the author of this corporate pitch. And chances are uh, my senior executives wouldn't love it. So if you say the corporate pitch is 12 bar blues, it's Johnny be good. And we're doing Johnny be good. And we're doing it in a, well, if I start uh, breaking into some uh, halfway through Johnny be good, I decide, fuck it. I'm now the grateful dead uh, or widespread panic. And I'm now going to do some free form, whatever. Um, most of the time that's not, <laughs> not well received. And so how, how do I, as a product manager, as a marketer, as a salesperson, uh, who is not the principal author or even a principal author of the deck, make it my own. What I was saying in the beginning of this call is that what I do is connect your story with the brand and the executive. Th there should be a connection. Um, if there is no connection, you are, you, and I know that this is like a really drastic thing to say, but I believe it completely. If you are getting up on stage and you are thinking, I cannot believe the bullshit that's coming out of my mouth. If you can't stand behind what you're saying, you're working in the wrong place. You expressing what you think is important and what matters, you being able to adapt the corporate pitch should not be a departure from the pitch if you're working in the right place. So do yourself a favor and create a cohesion between what you believe in and what you say, because it'll be a better presentation, but it will also make for a better life. We are not supposed to be working in places where we're saying things we don't believe in. Hallelujah. Go. Yeah. 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 Amen. Hallelujah, sister.
Yeah. The other thing I was thinking as you were talking, Dan, um, you know, so um, as a kid, I was a musician. And today I would describe myself as somebody who can make a noise that is pleasant, particularly if you've had a beer or two. And, you know, I got about four to six notes that I don't sound bad on. And I got, a, you know, a couple chords I can play. That said, um, I started off, I, uh, when I started playing, I was self-taught. And so I wasn't learning to play other people's music. I, in order to play music, I wrote my own music. So I, most people start by learning other people's music, and then they write their own. I started by writing my own. For me to play a cover, and most of what I play today are covers, you know, and I, I play them, you know, at the beach with, with people drinking and eating weenies and, and, and watching the sunset kind of a thing. Or I'll pick it up and play a couple songs before dinner, that kind of stuff. Anyway, long story, way longer. For me to play a cover, even to this day, even I just do it for fun every once in a while. I can't play a cover until I get the cover to a place where um, if you didn't know better you would think I wrote it because yeah. that becomes my connection to it. Yeah. This is what I think I'm hearing both of you say. Yes. 1000% yes. When I sit down with an executive, my goal is to say, if you didn't write every word of this, it's sure as hell going to feel like you did. Because otherwise, when you stand on stage, you don't sound like you mean what you say. And we, we have to mean what we say. We have to. How many times have you told me as we've been working together over this last year and a half stories where you were VP of comms at a big tech company or in a very senior executive uh, communications perspective, typically, in a, and, and you would leave that organization to go to another one and the executives would come back to you and say, Dushka, please come back because without you here, I don't know what I sound like. Um, I can't. How many times have you told me that story? Because. Yeah. You're like the executive whisperer. It's my favorite compliment is, can you help me with this document? Because without it, I, without you, I can't get it to sound like me. But the, exactly. Yeah. But, but I think that what I try to do is not make it sound like me, but really understand what the person is saying and what the person is interested in and what drives the person to have that job so that, so that, you know, they can, so that we can collaboratively write their deck. And if that deck has a template, and if the person is saying something they believe in, then suddenly something goes from being incredibly boring and you wanting to poke your eyes out with a ice pick to you feeling like you would have uh, like you would have wanted to pay for a presentation like that. Like it was the best part of your day. And I think that's what every presentation should be like. The other question. So I, I get the format part and I get teaching people that. And I, I think it is very insightful of both of you to say um a great presentation will change a person who thinks that she's a bad presenter. That's a very powerful thing. Cause I think there's a narrative out there that says, Oh, well you're either a good presenter or you're not like as though next to your spleen, you had some kind of an organ called good presenter. Um, and, and that's, that's complete bullshit. This leads me to a place, however, sort of something we talked about off the top. The reason I don't have a mortgage is because I'm good at this, because I learned this stuff and I learned it fairly early. I was just like most people. I was terrible at the beginning 
And over time, I figured it out. I got trained. I went, I went to work. I, you know, people always say, oh, you're so talented. You're such a talented presenter, which is a nice comment. And what they don't understand is, yeah, well, I worked my ass off to be able to get up in front of 10,000 people and have them stand when I'm done. That, that's not, that wasn't a fucking accident. But my point here is, how do we get more people to understand your career in a large part is a function of your ability to do this. I have two comments. The first is anything you think you're not good at is something you can practice and get good at. I don't think practice makes perfect, but I think practice makes better. And when it comes to presenting, all you need to be is better. You don't even need to be good at it. You just need to be better. And that means you can apply yourself and be better. And it takes practice. And practice doesn't have to be in front of other people. You do dry runs with people that you trust before you go out there. And the second thing is we have to do difficult things. We can't say no to things just because we think it's hard or because we don't want to. We, we, can, we can get up in the morning and say, it's okay to do difficult things. And I know that that sounds really basic, but it gets you through a lot of things that you don't want to do. You don't have to do difficult things that make you uncomfortable every day, but you can sure do them sometimes. The other thing I see a lot having coached more executives on this stuff than I can think of is people go into presentation mode, their voice changes, their, the way they move might change. They, they begin to act. They begin to be something that they think we want them to be. And Probably the biggest thing I've said to executives throughout my entire career about this is stop acting. Be radically yourself. We want what we want is you. And there's no personality type. Myers Briggs, the E's aren't better than the I's. Go fuck yourself. There's no people who are radically themselves in front of a room um, are the ones that we love. And yet most people go into presentation mode. They go into this actor mode. And so how do you help people be radically themselves in the context of a great narrative that they're now delivering? It's very difficult to stop acting if your fundamental belief is that you are not enough. The reason why we pretend to be other people and we do things in a way that is affected or in a way that is... Um, emulative of something is because we feel we are not enough. That is the same reason why people use overcomplicated language instead of simple language, because we think that what, the way that we know how to talk is not enough. So a lot of what's involved in presentation and speaker training is the, to, to trust that you are enough and that you don't have to pretend to be someone else to, to, to be good at presenting. Yeah, all of that. And Practice, practice, practice. You know, uh, we'll just take, we, we talked about music. Let's just talk about stand-up com comedy for a moment. There are great stand-up comics, and then there are people who suck. And whether you like, I don't know, Dave Chappelle or Jerry Seinfeld, wh whoever, whoever you like, it's worth noting that when that person gets up there and entertains you, and they do it so naturally, they are not making that up on the stage. They have practiced that shtick over and over, they've rehearsed those jokes. They wrote them down. They practiced them with different audiences. You can't know who you are until you have tried on a lot of different versions of yourself. I believe that to be true. You will find who you are to tell, 
to be yourself on stage only after you've tried on a whole bunch of different sets of clothes and said, no, that one's not me. That one's not me. And you will find yourself. But the only way to do it is with that old idea of, of practice. And then I would add on to that something I've been sharing with, with, with people for quite a while. I think it's really, really, really simple how to give the best presentation of your life. You just tell the truth. You just tell the friggin' truth. You tell your truth. You tell it with your story. And if you have, if you like visuals, and most people do, you tell that story with pictures. That's it. You tell the truth, you tell it with your story, and you tell that story with pictures. And if you just do those three things and practice it, you're going to be great. You can't avoid it. And to that, I would add, begin by believing that your presentation doesn't have to be mind-numbing. You can, you can and should and owe it to the world. You must have a presentation that inspires. Do not believe that your presentation has to be a boring update or that your presentation has to communicate something like Christopher was putting earlier. Please believe that your presentation should be the best part of somebody's day. A lot of the, the paradigm people head into the presentation with is, okay, my job here is to get this done. I'll never forget going into a board meeting and the CFO looking at me saying, look, don't be confused. The objective of this meeting is to get it over. I'm like, Well, then why the fuck are we having the meeting? Absolutely. You know, but, but, and so, and so maybe we have to have a different mindset that said the objective is to have the most legendary presentation I've ever given if I'm the presenter and that we get to the outcome, whatever the agreed upon outcome is. Yes. Please, please do not waste hours and hours and hours of your time and your company's time putting together presentations that no one wants to see. With that, Dan, our work here is done. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah, sister. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, as we, uh, as we uh, get ready to kick out of this wave, anything else you want to touch on? Just to your point of a moment ago, it's so brilliantly said, I just want to say it again and find just why are we using so much of our, so our own and our company's resources to build presentations nobody wants to see? It's kind of, it's back to insanity. And I think just recognizing that that's what we do, acknowledging that we have that habit is enough to begin getting out of it. Yes. Well put. Anything else, Dushka? Just that I love you and I love seeing you and I'm so grateful for you talking to us because Dan and I have been complaining and moaning about presentations and I was like, we just got to talk to Christopher about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you wanted to do that and I'm really glad that you did it and I'm stoked that you're doing this work. And, and maybe one quickie before we're done. What's the general receptivity uh, with the, if there's such a thing as the average executive or average entrepreneur that you work with, uh, when you, you, the two of you show up and say, okay, um, we're here to help you have a breakthrough in presentations. Dushka, take it. Um, I adore our clients. They're generally incredibly receptive. And once they see, which is happens within a couple of minutes, that presentations don't have to be boring. Dan is an incredible artist. He draws things up really, really quickly. And it just, it's just instantly clarifying. So the receptivity that we've gotten has been, I, I just couldn't, couldn't ask for anything better. I think people, people, nobody, nobody gets up in the morning and says, today is a very good day to be super boring. <laughs> All right. Well, 
Dan, it's great to see you again. Dushka, I miss you. I love you completely. And uh, thank you so much for this legendary conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank Bye you, everyone. Have a great day. Well, there they are, the legendary Dushka Zapata and da Dan Rome. And uh, if you know somebody who's trying to produce a breakthrough in presentations, why not share this episode with them right now? Most uh, po podcast players or oddcast players, for that matter, have a share feature. And so uh, you could probably share it with uh, your whole team right now. And I uh, want to thank them again. Unbelievable folks. Appreciate the dialogue very much. All right. We would like to thank... My good friends at Atranet, building legendary B2B websites in Silicon Valley for over 20 years. Check out atre.net today. If you're in Australia and you want to do something absolutely breakout legendary in marketing, check out rapidmedia.com.au. They have built a software capability to allow you to, with precision, target exactly the results that you want and connect it all the way back to your back office so that you're marketing and selling the things that you want to be marketing and selling. Check out rapidmedia.com.au today. And uh, why not go to amazon.com and type in category pirates? Because if you're not reading category pirates, you're not reading category pirates. My friends at NetSuite are the number one cloud system for growing businesses. Check out netsuite.com slash different. That's netsuite.com slash different. This oddcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and it goes uh, much better with libations, particularly white Russians made with Malibu milk. Uh, please don't forget to tip your wait staff on the way out. Today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes, and please consult your shaman, lawyer, mystic, doctor, bartender, uh, and therapist before acting on any of today's information. Listen to Blue Rodeo, read Reese and Trout, Kathleen Madigan was right. I want to say a huge thank you to all of our healthcare heroes and your spouse called. And uh, he said, it's okay. Go ahead and buy anything you want. We are produced and edited by the greatest of all time, Jason DeFilippo. Check out his podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks. And Sarah Knox and Jamie J do legendary technical execution, and they build Lockhead.com. Show notes by GM Simon. And Candy Dandy keeps all the trains running on time. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Please stay healthy, stay legendary, and the thought I'll leave you with comes from me. It's not PowerPoint's fault, 